On this edition of the Virtual Bible Study, we're going to be reviewing a video blog in which two video bloggers try to defend the practice of homosexuality from the Bible. Their argument is that the Bible actually supports or endorses the practice of homosexuality. We think they're dramatically wrong. We want to review their arguments. They claim to have seven Bible arguments in support of homosexuality, and we intend to review those in our study tonight. Stay tuned. We'll be with you on the virtual Bible study for Thursday night, uh, May the 26th, 2022. Stick, stick with us. We'll be right back. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And again, this is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday night, uh, May the 26th, 2022. Thanks for joining us on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. My name is Greg Gwynn. I'm one of the hosts of the Virtual Bible Study. With me tonight is Josh McCord. Josh, thanks for joining us tonight. Greg, good to be here. And behind the, the control board, as usual, Kyle Barnes. Kyle, thanks. Yeah, it's good to be here. Are we all up and running, I think? Oh, yeah. Are we? yeah, good. All right, so uh, we don't have too much uh, announcing, announcing to do of things coming up other than, Josh, we've been sort of giving everybody a, a, a distant heads up to our community Bible study here in Columbia, Tennessee, July 18th and 19th. Uh, so just mark your calendars. We're going to have, uh, we haven't actually finalized our topic, but it's going to be along the lines of, Families and parenting in this current world, uh, which I think is a huge challenge, and the Bible addresses that. Yeah, it'll be timely. Yeah. So mark your calendars. If you're anywhere within a driving distance of Columbia, Tennessee, for July 18th and 19th for our community Bible study, we'll be giving you more details as we get closer to that date. So we found a a video blog, uh, Josh, and I didn't even know this, but... Those who do their blogging by video are called vloggers instead of <laughs> bloggers. And so we found this video blog or, or these vloggers. Um, their names are Ariel Scarcella and Matthew Vines. And they claim to be able to produce seven Bible quotes supporting gay relationships. Uh, that's, that's what their blog is, is titled. I was I thought it was kind of curious, Josh, because as I watched that, they didn't actually give seven Bible verses. Right. You know, I, I don't know why they titled it that because they they made arguments, but they didn't give any scripture to support their arguments. I think, and we think all their arguments are faulty and flawed for sure. Uh, I gave the link in in our in our update in our email update earlier today. I gave you the link to that that uh, YouTube video. Uh, but I gave a disclaimer. I almost didn't put the link on there because there's some vulgar and nasty uh, talking in parts of that video. Uh, and so I almost didn't give the link, but I decided to go ahead and do it anyway uh, with with a disclaimer, with a warning. We're going to play clips of that video today 
uh, tonight on a program, but we've edited out the bad words. And, and so hopefully uh, that'll work all right. And we're going to put Kyle to the technical test to make sure he can get those up. So we're not going to re- we're not going to give you their arguments ahead of time. We're just going to take them one at a time. And so let's start with the first one. Kyle, you got it ready to go. Reason number one, condemning same-sex relationships is harmful to LGBT people. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that good trees should bear good fruit. Meaning if you are a good person and you treat others with love and respect, it'll bring more love and respect to everybody else and to yourself in the world. The church's rejection of same-sex relationships has caused tremendous suffering to LGBT people. That's not good fruit. Okay, so I think you got that first clip. We had a little, we had a little technical uh, snafu there, trying to get the audio up with the video. Uh, but I think you got to see that and see what these people are arguing. Their basic argument here, uh, Josh, is that condemning same-sex relationships is harmful to LGBT people. And then here, here they actually did give a verse. I didn't think it was very applicable to their case, but they they referenced Matthew chapter seven, verse seventeen. Obviously, that's a, a, a quote from the the uh, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew seven seventeen. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. And so, in other words, they're saying. I, I, I take it that their argument is that when we condemn homosexual practices, it's hurtful to the people who are engaged in homosexual practices. And that being the case, that's a bad fruit, and, and we should not be bearing bad fruit. And, and so if it hurts their feelings, if it makes them feel bad, if it causes them distress, to know that we disapprove and and when we say the Bible actually disapproves, that's bad fruit. Well, a uh, couple issues with this one, I would, I would say. First off, there the whole premise is that there's Bible quotes supporting gay relationships. The Bible doesn't say it's harmful to LGBT people. Uh, and so they take this verse way out of context. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount here specifically, I think, is talking about false prophets, beginning in verse 15. Uh, at verse 16, he says, you'll know them by their fruits. And then he talks about in verse 17, good trees bring forth good fruit, corrupt trees bring forth evil fruit. You'll know the works of these false teachers by the things that they do. Yeah. Uh, in no way is that saying that if I hurt somebody's feelings, then I'm a I'm bearing bad, bad fruit. fruit and so I can't be right. Yeah, yeah. That's not what Jesus was talking yeah, about the, at all. The, the verse doesn't make any sense. Actually, I would argue that this verse really would be one we would use you know the, the 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 fruits of the homosexual lifestyle are devastating right. uh, people's lives are wrecked and ruined their physical health very often is challenged but you know it, it's it's pretty well documented that those who engage in homosexual activities are far more prone to uh, uh, experience uh, psychological and emotional right. disorders uh, and so you know, so what's the fruit of homosexual lifestyle? Well, it's not very good. And this right. says, we, we, by their fruits, you shall know them. They, they're teaching, they're actually teaching false doctrine about yeah. homosexuality. And we can see the bad fruit of the false doctrine they're teaching. That's how you would use this right. verse. Right? Yeah, yeah. so they're, the verse that they're using is actually, they're talking, Jesus is, is using an example. And they are fulfilling, I guess, the example that Jesus yeah. has given. They're yeah. false prophets teaching yeah. this. Uh, 
You know, if that argument holds, if their argument is you're hurting Mm -hmm. people, you're making them feel bad, uh, you're causing them distress and anxiety because you teach that the Bible condemns homosexuality. Well, you know, if that if that therefore means that we should not condemn it because it hurts their feelings, then that argument would also have to mean that we sh- we can't condemn the uh, pedophile, for instance, because it hurts his feelings. It hurts it hurts the pedophile's feelings when we say that he's doing something bad. Right. So we're just going to have to because and, and we don't want to make him feel bad because that's bad yeah. for it on our part. Yeah. So we'll have to lay off or, you know. I mean, make it make it anything. The bank robber doesn't mm-hmm. like me to say that what he's doing is a sin. Mm-hmm. And so I need to stop doing that because it's bad fruit if I make him feel bad when I specify his sin. That that argument just doesn't hold any water at all. No, no. I was thinking about the exact same thing. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 24 talks about how God's laws are for our good always. Uh, and so. I do think that God, you know, cares about my feelings and he cares, you know, uh, about me. But if my feelings are hurt because I'm doing something that God says is wrong, God wants me to do right. And and faith should come first and then my feelings should follow that. I think that's exactly right. You know, I I, I knew a psychologist who said, you know, when you do bad, you should feel bad. Mm -hmm. You know, that's sort of a built in mechanism that God put in us. And so. You should feel bad when you're doing bad, and 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 then that ought to guide you to repentance and correction. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, by the way, if you want to participate with us on the Virtual Bible Study Night, we should have said this earlier. You can send us an email to questions at collegeu.com. Add your comments. Josh will be monitoring the email inbox as we go along tonight. You can also get in the chat room by the video window. You can see a chat room, and you can join in. Uh, there in the chat room. We'd love to hear from you there. I think Josh will be monitoring that as well. Uh, and, and, and we have our phone lines open, 931-381-4567. We got an email from Kent today. He said, condemning same-sex relationships does not harm LGBT individuals. It is the LGBT lifestyle that's harmful to them. He references 2 Peter 2, verses 4 through 8, and Jude, verse 7. Faithful gospel preaching that strongly opposes the sin of homosexuality is not the preaching of hate, neither is is it the proclamation of violence nor physical harm. Such is the clarion sounding forth of truth, making known God's terms of divine redemption, that sinners may be forgiven, conditioned upon their obedience to the gospel of Christ, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. You know, that's a good passage to bring in what what Kent mentions there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Notice what Paul says about homosexuals. And and, and actually, we're going to look at this verse a little more carefully later in the program, but In 1 Corinthians 6, beginning verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Wonder why some of the Corinthians who had been engaged in that list, uh, the 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 King James translation of effeminate and abusers of themselves of mankind. We'll talk a little bit more about the exact meaning of those words, but they definitely denote homosexual action. So why were these Corinthians, they formally had been engaged in these things, and now they're not. wonder how they knew to not do that anymore. You have to think that Paul and other inspired teachers and preachers of the first century 
we're saying that that's a sinful practice. Right. You can't keep doing this and make it to heaven. That's what he said there in verse 10. Yeah. People that do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's probably more that we could say about that. But, you know, on Wednesday night in, a, in, a, in our Bible class here at College View, we've been studying the works of the flesh. And one of the works of the flesh is fornication. Uh, newer translations often use the expression sexual immorality which I think is probably not a really accurate translation. It's too vague. It's too, too, uh, but, uh, the, 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 the Greek word there in Galatians five, verse 19 is pornea. And the, the definition is strong's definition of pornea, pornea includes adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, intercourse with animals and so forth. Um, and so, it is clearly condemned in the scripture. And so if if we teach what the scripture teaches and it condemns the homosexual in his practice and he feels bad for having done so, maybe he will repent like the Corinthians had repented and come out of that sin. Right. Uh, we got we got in the chat room, Brian in California. Uh, he says their argument presupposes that the state in which they come to bear good fruits is acceptable unto God. We must be reconciled to the Lord Jesus and be transformed. It cannot be. Come as you are and offer as you please in service to God. I think that's true. Thanks, Brian, for sending that in. Yeah. Uh, Dwight in Iowa says these two people are twisting the scriptures in a very horrible way. The passage in Matthew seven seventeen about bearing mm-hmm. bad fruit has nothing to do with condemning same-sex relationships. One has to remember God is the one who does the condemning, not man. We just hold to what God tells us. If one is offended by what the Bible says about homosexuals, then they need to know that they are upset with God because he made the laws concerning human relationships. I think that's right. It is. All right. So we just got one of seven arguments uh, in place. We're going to have to move a little more quickly, uh, Josh, but uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back from this break, their next argument is basically that this whole this whole idea of sexual orientation is is a new concept. It hasn't been around that long. We'll get to that when we get back from this break. Stay with us on the virtual Bible study. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Here's a quick thought. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Colossians 3, verse 23 and 24. Is it hard to get up and do what you do every day? Well, transform your thinking about it. View it as service to the Lord, no matter what it is. Do it with all your heart, as if you're serving the Lord, because you are. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Remember that you are needed. There is important work to be done that will not be done unless you do it. You have to decide your highest priorities, and then you need to have the courage pleasantly, smilingly, unapologetically to say no to other things. Some people are like wheelbarrows, useful only when pushed and very easily upset. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program. This is the Virtual Bible Study, and we are reviewing a video blog uh, by two bloggers who argue that they have seven... How did they put that, Josh? They said uh, seven, seven Bible, Bible quotes. quotes supporting gay relationships, and then, and sadly, they don't give the quotes. 
But they do make their arguments, and we think they're all uh, erroneous arguments. We're trying to expose that in, in our uh, review of their blog tonight. We're going to go to the second segment. I, I, I edited this into into each of their seven arguments, and so Kyle's going to play that for us. We're going to go to number two, talking about the idea that the whole concept of sexual orientation is a new thing and hadn't been around that long. Go ahead, Kyle. Number two. Sexual orientation is a pretty new concept. Christians in the past tended to see same-sex behavior as a vice of excess like gluttony or drunkenness, not as a sexual orientation that can be expressed in loving, committed ways. And so Christians don't have to reject their faith's tradition to accept same-sex relationships. They just have to realize that we're in a new environment faced with a new issue. All right, we're back up. All right. Uh, we're having a little delay problem there. We can't see or hear the video, so Kyle's going to have to give us a, a, a signal when we're ready to pick up the discussion again. And so the argument that they're making here, uh, Josh, is uh, that the, the really the only thing that the Scriptures condemn is, is excess. Uh, you know, for, for instance... It's not the Bible doesn't condemn eating, but it condemns gluttony. Uh, the Bible condemn now. I think they're wrong about this, but they say the Bible condemns excess like drunkenness. It certainly condemns drunkenness, but we could argue we think it condemns all forms of drinking. But they're saying that what the Scripture condemns is homosexuality in in that sense when it's in excess, uh, and it does not condemn homosexuality. When it is between people in a loving and committed relationship, uh, so uh, they would argue, I think, that it's much like heterosexual relationships. Uh, the Bible condemns unlawful heterosexual relationships, but in a loving, committed relationship, like marriage. <laughs> They would say it doesn't condemn that, and so that's their argument. What do you think about that, Josh? Well, uh, I don't. I don't think that argument is going to hold water. I actually, one of the things that uh, Paul wrote was that uh, in First Corinthians thirteen, he wrote a lot about love. Uh, he said that uh, love thinks no evil uh, in verses five and six. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Uh, and so, uh, people cannot be involved in sin and claim to be in love. You know, so I think one of the things, and I'm not sure they said it in the video or not, but one of the things that is argued is that the Bible doesn't condemn, you know, gay love. But biblically, that doesn't exist because one of the things that love uh, uh, has to have is rejoicing in the truth, and it's not true from God's perspective. Good. That's good. That's a good tie-in, Josh. I think you're, ex- you're exactly right on that. You know, it's interesting that they call this a new concept, this idea of sexual in, right. uh, uh, sexual orientation is a new concept. You know, as best as I can understand, homosexual people have argued they always that, that people are born that way. Uh, uh, and so that being the case, if people are born that way, wouldn't it have all wouldn't sexual orientation uh, even of people in Bible times, wouldn't it always been that if people are born homosexual, they, they were of that orientation 500 years ago, 600 years ago, 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. Uh, if uh, Why wouldn't there have been people in biblical times who were exclusively homosexual? I don't, uh, in other words, they're saying it only condemns excess. 
we're saying the Bible is condemning all practice of homosexuality. The home, the act of homosexuality is condemned. Um, sexual activity is only right in the context of marriage. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So, uh, sexual activity is only uh, authorized in a marriage relationship, and biblical marriage is always between a man and a woman. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 5, Jesus said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Uh, so that's that's the only realm in which sexual activity is authorized and approved by God. And other than that, it's condemned. It doesn't matter whether it's in a loving, committed relationship or not. It's condemned. Right. Well, all the way back to the beginning in in Genesis 2, Adam and Eve uh, were created for each other for a purpose. Uh, And and Jesus quoted from that. But Genesis 2.24, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. What Jesus was talking about. So those man and woman uh, leave and cleave, you know, and and that's a new relationship started. Uh, That never happens in the Bible. uh, And that's approved of between two men or two women. Yeah. Uh, It's just not there. Exactly right. Kent in Georgia says sexual orientation is not a new concept. Paul deals with sexual perversion in Romans 1, verses 21 through 27. Specific instruction is given that condemns the LGBT practices as being sinful. This passage condemns the LGBT perversion. Going back to the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament era in which we live. I want to read part of that. I think Kent is exactly right. In Romans chapter 1... Uh, I think it, in the New Testament is the plainest description and condemnation of homosexual activity. Uh, I'm going to read the part uh, beginning in verse 26, Romans chapter 1, verse 26. For this God cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. Uh, and so it is a, a very blank, a, a very plain condemnation of homosexual activity. And again, it doesn't, it doesn't distinguish or differentiate between a loving, committed relationship and some other type of relationship. Um, Dwight in Iowa says sexual orientation defined from what I could find is about who you're attracted to and want to have relationships with. Uh, sexual orientation can include gay, lesbian, straight, bisexual, asexual. According to this definition, I would have to say that this concept has gone on from long ago and is not a new concept or idea. And whether or not it is a new concept or not doesn't make it right. Sin is sin because God said so. I, I don't understand the argument that, that sexual orientation is a new concept because we read about People practicing homosexuality way back in the Old Testament. I mean, centuries, thousands of years ago, we read about people engaged in homosexual activity. I don't know. I don't understand the argument that it's a new thing. Just another way to justify yeah. wrongdoing. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. Uh, so, so basically, if if you're condemning people for their sexual orientation, that's a new thing. Yeah. No, it's really not. 
All right, let's go to the let's go to argument number three. The, argument number three is that celibacy is a gift, not a mandate. So let's grab that one, uh, Kyle. Reason number three, celibacy is a gift, not a mandate. Right, so I studied the Bible a bit in college, and I remember that it talks specifically about the idea of being celibate and how it's better than not being celibate. But Paul also says that celibacy can't be forced upon people. It can only be chosen by people who have that gift and that calling. A lot of LGBT people, like a lot of straight people, don't have that gift and calling, and it's wrong to force them all to be celibate. All right. So their third argument is that celibacy is a gift, not a mandate. In other words, that people have have never been ordered or commanded to be celibate. I think that's right. Uh, you know, you know, there and in First Corinthians, uh, uh, the apostle Paul uh, argued. Uh, in First Corinthians seven verse seven, I would that all men were even as I myself. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after another. Uh, and so Paul would argue, Paul argued that it, that there would be certain advantages to being celibate. And, and he, in that same context of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he talks about the present distress. Uh, uh, you know, they were under severe persecutions and if, if you were a married man and you were facing persecution, you'd have to worry not just about serving the Lord faithfully, but you'd have to worry, what's going to happen to my wife? What's going to happen to my children? If you didn't have a wife and children, you'd be free of those concerns. You could just go, go about your service to God without fear that your family might be harmed, even if you were harmed. And so that's the argument. Uh, But even in that context, Paul does not say you must remain celibate. Uh, uh, In fact, one of the perversions, uh, what are you looking at, Uh, well, I was going to say in that in that same context, in verse 7, Paul said, I would that all men were even as I am myself. So he recommended under the present distress. But, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 5, he said, Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? Yeah. So I think what Paul was saying was, I could get married if yeah. I wanted to, yeah. but yeah. I'm just choosing to under the present distress to not do that so I can focus on my service to God. Yeah. He wasn't saying, be like I am and, and don't get married. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was thinking of first Timothy chapter four, when, uh, Paul says in verse one, uh, the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God has created to be received with thanksgiving. So. Paul said that there would actually be a, a falling away, and the result of that on the part of some would be forbidding to marry. Well, we think that that has happened, but we've never participated in that. We don't believe that's true. We think that, we think that mandating celibacy uh, is not biblical. Now, here's the point. We have never said that homosexually inclined people have to be celibate. What we have said is you can't practice homosexuality. That that guy who has a homosexual tendency can change from that, and he can be fulfilled in the same way that others are, in the way that God planned for man and woman to have sexual gratification in heterosexual marriage, a man and a woman. So we're 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 not mandating that homosexuals be celibate for life. We are we are arguing that they can't practice homosexuality. They could engage in 
sexual activity of the sort authorized by the word of God, a man and a woman in marriage. So we're not saying they have to be celibate. We are saying if they're going to engage in sexual activity, it has to be between a man, a, a lawful, a lawful marriage between a man and a woman. Yeah, just another way to twist. So there's a person that's uh, got that kind of desire, and you're telling, so you're telling them they can't fulfill their. Well, <laughs> so so to your point, uh, you can't practice homosexuality. And back in First Corinthians seven, Paul talked about uh, the the only appropriate avenue uh, to to handle and respond to those sexual desires that God gave us was through the marriage relationship. In verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 7, he said, If they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Yeah. And other versions say to burn with passion. Yeah. And so so that's within that's the marriage relationship the, is the, the way to that's handle the, that. That's the avenue of fulfillment. Exactly right. Kent says, It is true that celibacy is not a divine requirement. However, such does not mean that God permits humanity to choose their own sexual orientation Again, referencing Romans 1, beginning verse 21, 1 Corinthians 7, beginning verse 1. The only sexual relationship that God authorizes for all of humanity is biblical marriage for qualified individuals, consisting of one man for one woman for life. The only exception to this law is where a truly innocent individual has the God-given right to divorce a guilty spouse for the cause of fornication, Matthew 5.32 and Matthew 19.9. Dwight. Uh, has emailed this. He says, celibacy is the state of abstaining from marriage and sexual relations. This is a choice we choose. It is not wrong one, one way or the other. He references 1 Corinthians 7, 7 through 9, where Paul says, I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this matter and another in that. Uh, He's, uh, let's see, uh, yeah, hang on to that. So he, he, I, I think Dwight's making the same point we're making is that there's a, there's an avenue for sexual fulfillment for everybody, but, it, but it's, re, it's restricted and restrained and it's rather a narrow avenue. But again, back to your point from Deuteronomy chapter six, the laws of God for our good always. And so when God has, has restricted us in the marriage relationship, that's for our good. And, you know, really our own human experience bears out that that's true. But that notwithstanding, it is simply that's the case. And, and so I, I, they're, they are wrong uh, when, they, when they say you can't mandate celibacy for homosexuals. Celibacy is never mandated. No, it's not. Celibacy is not mandated. But the only proper avenue for sexual gratification is between a man and woman in a lawful marriage. All right, we're going to grab a a break. When we get back from this break, we're going to continue. We're going to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. They want to make some points about Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll do that when we get back from this break. Stay with us on the Virtual Bible Study. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. My name is Roger Toomes, and me and my wife love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study on Thursday nights. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. When songwriter Isaac Watts wrote the beautiful song, At the Cross, he had obviously never heard or read anything from the currently popular self-esteem crowd. The first verse of the song goes like this. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? The politically correct police would surely object to Watts' reference that we are but mere worms. Instead, they would argue that we are special and valuable. Our worth, they claim, is reflected in the fact that God sent his son to die for us. Certainly, we're not worms. 
This idea that our value is shown by Christ's sacrifice is a gross and awful perversion of Scripture. Jesus did not die on the cross because we are so wonderful. Instead, it was necessary for him to suffer that terrible torture because we are so miserable. Paul wrote in Romans 5 verse 8 that God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was our sins that required his death, not our virtue or worth or wonderfulness. The very thought of this should humble us. There's nothing here that should serve to inflate our self-esteem. But, someone objects, doesn't Jesus' death on the cross show that God loves us? Yes, of course, it abundantly shows this. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. This is the lesson to be learned. God had limitless love for unlovable, awful sinners. The demonstration of his love through Jesus should cause us to proclaim his wonderfulness, not our own. There's no need to artificially boost our self-esteem. What we need is a humble heart that leads us to obey his will. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And we're back on the Virtual Bible Study. We want to remind you that the Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. We encourage you to find out more about us. Uh, if you're in our Middle Tennessee area, please come and visit us uh, at College View uh, Church of Christ. If you are not within a driving distance, you can find out more about us by going to our website, collegeview.com, C-O-L-L-E-G-E-V-U-E, collegeview.com. Uh, we'd love to uh, engage you. If you have questions, uh, if we can help in any way with your Bible study, please let us know. We're talking about a video blog in which two individuals trying to support uh the practice of homosexuality, they say actually that they have seven Bible verses that approve of homosexuality. They they didn't provide the verses typically in all of their arguments, but they did make seven arguments, Josh, and, and we're trying to look at all of those. Number four, their fourth argument has to do with Sodom and Gomorrah, and they say that Sodom and Gomorrah were not destroyed uh, because of homosexuality. Let's see what they say. Kyle? Number four. So there is this story in the Bible about two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. Most people thought that God had condemned them for being gay. A lot of people, they thought that a lot of people in those two specific cities were like homosexual. And that's not really the case, is it? No. There was an attempted gang rape of men by men in Sodom. But that's pretty different from a loving relationship. Sodom was destroyed for its arrogance and apathy toward the poor, not for, quote-unquote, being gay. Okay, so this is, this is a, I have actually heard this argument before, Kyle, I mean, uh, Josh, that, that Sodom and Gomorrah were not destroyed because of the practice of homosexuality, but it was because of their uh, other abuses. Now, uh, uh, this blogger admits that they, they were trying to have unlawful relationships with the two visitors who came into Lot's house. But that was, that was perversion. And, and that's not, that was, that wasn't the big problem. They actually say that the problem with Sodom and Gomorrah was arrogance and apathy toward the poor. That was kind of an interesting argument. I did a little, I did a little reading about that. There actually is a reference, and they, this, they may have had this in mind in Ezekiel 16. Did you find this too? I did. Read that for us, verse 49. It says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. 
Verse 50 says, And they were haughty and committed abomination before me, therefore I took them away as I saw good. All right. So uh, they, they committed abomination. Right. And one of the abominations that is identified in that in that era in Leviticus chapter 18 verse 2 it says you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female it is abomination right. now obviously that quote from Leviticus comes later that that the law of Moses hadn't been given when the events at Sodom and Gomorrah occurred right. but we see that that's that practice is abominable to God yeah. and so I, I don't know how you could preclude uh, th- there were obviously other they had a lot of problems, had problems a lot of issues, yeah, a lot of sins in in Sodom, but one of their sins was the practice of homosexuality. Yeah. Why do we still call it? it? I mean, look up the dictionary definition of sodomy. Right. Why do we still call it that? It's yeah. based upon the fact that it is it is known, it is historically known, and really the only people who deny it are homosexuals trying to defend their practice. All agree that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were grossly involved in the sin of homosexuality, and God destroyed them for these abuses. Right. So there's several sins listed that Sodom was involved in. So let's just pick out seven out of the ten, or you know whatever the number is. Where do where do you draw the line? And, you know they say, well, it, it was for these other things, but it wasn't involved. They they said, quote, being gay. Yeah. Uh, but that was included in the list, and yeah. so Sodom was uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed for all of their sin and how how wicked they were before God, including. The practice of homosexuality. Exactly right. Exactly right. Let's see what our email is. Get, get, chat room is real quiet. Chat room has been quiet. Get, get in the chat room. Give us some comments. Uh, we also got our phone line open at 931-381-4567. Or you send us an email at any time. Josh is watching the email in the chat room as we go along here. Uh, Kent says, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed perhaps because of numerous sins. However, the scriptures give specific information that inclusive of their wicked lifestyle was the sin of homosexuality. He references Second Peter. This is good. This is a good tie-in. He references Second Peter chapter two, beginning verse four. In Second Timothy chapter two, verse four, God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them in chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example of those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot. Uh, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. And so notice the the unlawful deeds of the people in Sodom. In Jude verse 7, it says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now notice, uh, Jude 7 in particular, as Kent points out, identifies the the fornication, the unlawful sexual activity that was taking place in Sodom and Gomorrah. They were going after strange flesh. Mm-hmm. In other words, that, it, their fornication was was not heterosexual sex. It, it was, was against nature. It was against nature. Strange. Yeah. Uh, Dwight uh, in Iowa says Jude 7, he, he references Jude 7, uh, and also Second Peter chapter 2, verse 6. So both Kent and uh, uh, Dwight are on, on the same track there, and I think that's good. Um, 
What else we got? We got anything else here? Uh, Brian in California in the chat room said, I've heard it argued that Jesus never condemned homosexuality, but Jesus did speak of Sodom and Gomorrah, a righteous judgment. Good, good. I think that's exactly right, Brian. Uh, I mean, well, you know, when Jesus spoke about fornication, it would have been inclusive of, of homosexuality, too. Right. And so, for instance, in Matthew uh, 19.9, when he says, except for fornication, in other words, a, a man can't divorce his wife except for fornication, that, that Greek word pornea would have been a word that included homosexual activity. All right. Uh, so I think we've got that covered. Um, let's grab the next one. Uh, the, the argument number five, they say Leviticus specifically condemns homosexuality, but that's never applied to Christians as a moral law. Let's see what they say about that. Kyle? Number five. Leviticus in the Old Testament condemns male same-sex intercourse. But Leviticus is actually never applied to Christians as moral law. What about eating pork, eating shellfish, cutting the hair on the side of your head? Well, Christ fulfilled the law as Christians understand it, which mm-hmm. is why Christians don't have to follow all of those restrictions from the Old Testament anymore. All right. You know, here's an argument that they make, uh, Josh, that, you know, I think we have to agree with this, that uh, Leviticus 18, verse 22, and we referenced that just a minute ago, uh, Leviticus 18, verse 22 says, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female, it is abomination. That's Old Testament law, that's law of Moses, that does not pertain to us who are living in this Christian age. And, and, and so, you know, we make that point a lot, and so we have to grant that they are right in regards to that as a specific law, that law does not apply to us. Now, I do think that we we want to emphasize that we go to the Old Testament uh, to learn things and that there are great lessons for us there. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 6, these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also loved. Lusted, neither be idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of the serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. All these things happened to them for examples. They're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And so. There's, thing, there's, some, there's something to learn from the Old Testament, and it's valuable for learning. But to grant the point, the law of the Old Testament is not our law today. Right. So if we're going to condemn homosexuality, then we have to condemn it as a sin based upon what's taught in the New Testament. We've already, we already right. read that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, for instance, one of the works of the flesh is fornication, pornea. It includes mm-hmm. homosexuality. Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, plainly descri- describes homosexuality. The New Testament condemns homosexuality. And so uh, I, would, I would agree with them that we can't go back to the Old Testament exclusively. We can learn something from the Old Testament. We can learn that this activity has always been detestable to God. But right. it's not our law today. Yeah, the nature of God hasn't changed. And so thing, things that, principles that were in place. Are, things still, that were an abomination to right, them. Right, they still are. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, so the law has changed, and we don't have to we don't have to do a lot of things. as mentioned in the book of Leviticus and the Old Testament, sacrifices to animals and things. We, we, we don't have to do that. That's not part of our law. But things that, as you said, 
that God hated sin and evil, those things are still true today. And we learned a lot of principles uh, from the Old Testament. And I thought about Romans 15 and verse 4. It says, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that through that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Okay, good. So there, there's something to learn from the Old Testament. Right. Although we fully grant that it's right. not our law. Under the uh, Kent says, the fact that individuals are not amenable to the Old Testament today is not the issue. The Old Testament gives us information insofar as how God views homosexuality. He has not changed his position regarding such. The New Testament, to which all individuals are amenable to God today, condemns the sin of homosexuality in the strongest of human language. We have already set forth New Testament teaching regarding this sin. Dwight says Leviticus 18.22, Leviticus 20, verse 13 are both Old Testament laws. However, in the New Testament, homosexuality is condemned in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, Galatians 5, 19 through 21, 1 Timothy 1, verse 10. Homosexuals are noted as those who are contrary to sound teaching. So, again, maybe they thought they had they had us, you know, sort of uh, in a corner there. Maybe they were suggesting that we were relying on Old Testament law for our modern day condemnation of homosexuality. We're not. Yeah, we don't have to. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right, we're gonna we got a couple more arguments to to get to. We're gonna do that right after this break. We're gonna have a break and uh, stay with us. Uh, when we come back, we'll go to the top of the hour, concluding this discussion. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. In 1978, 5% of the population admitted to being chronic procrastinators. That number has more than quadrupled today. Procrastination statistics suggest that 40% of people have experienced financial loss due to procrastination. When asked the question, to what extent is procrastination having a negative impact on your happiness, 46% said quite a bit or very much, and 18% confessed it was an extreme negative effect. That information is via mytimemanagement.com. The Word of God says in Proverbs 27, verse 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And so we want to conclude our analysis of this video blog uh, in which uh, two bloggers try to argue that the, the Bible actually endorses or supports or justifies or allows supports gay relationships and we think not we we think their arguments are flawed and that the conclusion therefore the arguments are bad therefore the conclusion drawn therefore is faulty the bible does not support gay relationships um the 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 number six of their seven arguments is that paul condemns same-sex lust not love and they reference that passage we've looked at in Romans chapter one. Let's let let's let them say it in their own words. Number six, Kyle. Reason number six. Paul condemns same-sex lust, not love. Well, Paul, like a lot of ancient writers, saw same-sex behavior as stemming from out of control lust. That's pretty different from gay people in committed intimate relationships today. Right. Okay, so the 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 argument is there pretty clearly that the 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 problem is um, excess, lust, perversion, and not, again, the idea of 
committed, loving relationships that, that Paul, Paul never condemned two homosexual men or two homosexual women loving each other and engaging in, in sexual activity. If it's in a loving, committed relationship, it's not condemned. It's just when it's just, it's just for gratification. It's just, it's just the, the lust, the desire, the passion of the flesh. Basically, they would say that, you know, you know, heterosexual people, uh, they, they are, the lust of heterosexual people is condemned. You know, people who just, uh, seeking gratification in this way, uh, that's condemned. We agree that's condemned in scripture. They're saying that's the only, that's the only kind of practice of homosexuality that's condemned when it's just this overt, uh, physical gratification sort of thing. What about that, Josh? Um, well, I mean, the very first thing that came to my mind was, so their argument, Paul never condemns same-sex love. And I would just ask, well, where did, where did he approve it? You know, because it's not approved. Uh, and, and really, I guess in a bigger picture, this goes back to the argument, you know, God didn't say not to, uh, kind of argument. He didn't say to do that. What he did tell us to do was that one man, one woman for life, that was the plan. He gave an that's exception right. to that. And that, that's what God said to do. And so I... You know, just from a high level, um, if God didn't approve of it, then we shouldn't go there. Yeah, He told us what to do. Yeah, uh, you know, this is sort of about the, sort of the argument from silence, yeah. which is not even true in this case. But you know, uh, they're saying he didn't con- he didn't condemn two homosexual people loving each other. No, you know, he he didn't condemn people. In fact, we're commanded to love people. But this is not yeah. just. This is not. This is talking about sexual activity. Right. This this is not just. So they they're really trying to blur the lines there. Paul didn't condemn love. Well, of course we're supposed to love one another, but but when they use the word love, they're talking about in, in, engaging in physical f- uh, gratification uh, in in the in the category of homosexual love. Uh, and again, passages like Romans chapter one verses twenty six and twenty seven, very. Uh, specifically and graphically describe that as a perversion uh and, and it's it's not love it's a perversion yeah. that god condemns right well and, and here paul and, and that passage you reference he talked about the king james version says men with men working that which is unseemly i pulled up the new american standard on my phone it says men with men committing indecent acts so he didn't say well, well uh, whether they don't really like each other or whether they think they love each other paul just said it it uh, it is wrong. It's an error. Men with men committing these acts. Yeah. You know, so they're adding these other caveats and qualifiers. That, that doesn't matter. It, it's Paul, wrong. Paul called it in that in that Romans chapter one context. Paul calls it unnatural. He calls it in an in, indecent act. He calls it error. If right. you look at some of the newer translations, and so I, I would say they're wrong when he doesn't when it says he doesn't condemn uh, sexual activity between. Those of the same sex, even in loving relationships, it is condemned. Uh, Kent says uh, in Romans 1, beginning verse 26, it condemns homosexual acts. There's nothing loving about homosexual behavior. It is nothing more or less than outright perversion. Such behavior goes against our physical constitution. Uh, Dwight says uh, in Romans 1, verse 22, it says, professing to be wise, they became fools. Those who wish to look at the scriptures with the intent to prove their point instead of learning what God wants or, or what is being taught, that's just foolish. And then he goes on to, to cite the rest of that text in Romans chapter 1, which I think, I, I, I would argue, Josh, that 
if if we had to pick out the strongest New Testament condemnation mm-hmm. of homosexuality, I'm saying Romans chapter one, verse, especially verses twenty six and twenty seven, is probably as plain as you can hope yeah, to get. It's so I mean, specific, it's very specific. All right, so they say Paul only condemns lust, not love, and that's just not true. That's not true. He condemns all homosexual activity. All right, we got one last argument to make, and they're saying that this designation as homosexual is a it it, it, it never was even known of until a little over a hundred years ago. Let's hear what they have to say about that. Number seven, Kyle. Number seven. The term homosexual didn't even exist until 1892. Is that even the right date? Yeah. Yeah, you got it. Okay. The last 50 years, a number of Bible translators have started to say in a couple verses that homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right. But that term and that concept of a person who's exclusively same-sex attracted didn't even exist at the time the Bible was written. Okay. Uh, so what about this, Josh? They're saying this, this, this term homosexual didn't even exist until 1892. Yeah. Uh, well, that's because language evolves, you know, right. uh, but what that word defines or what that word identifies yeah. is certainly described way before that. Yeah. So, so that they're, they're basically going to the etymology of that word homosexual. Right. And they say, well, that's only, you know, a little over 100 years old. Well, okay, maybe the word is only mm-hmm. a, a little over 100 years old. But the, but the, the perverted act ex- has existed for thousands of years. Right. Yeah, well, so homosexual is an English word. English language developed, uh, I don't know, a thousand years after New Testament Greek. Uh, and so there's a lot of words that exist today that the word television didn't exist when the New Testament was written. They, they didn't know what that was. That yeah. word didn't exist in the English language wasn't even around. And so but but principles are there that talk specifically. I don't I don't think at all that it was just a foreign concept to Greek speaking people in the New Testament, because we've already looked at verses that yeah, talk yeah, about it. And yeah. they when Paul wrote to, for instance, the church at Corinth and he talked about. Things that they ought not engage in. They knew what he was talking about. They understood the concept. Maybe so the word the, that we the, used. The, the Eng- yeah, the English. Um, the, the English word slander, for instance. I'm sure that that that's a new word that, that that came along in the English language long after the first century. Or the word for for thievery, mm-hmm. or or the word for drunkenness. Those are English words that have been coined. Since the first century, English language didn't exist in the first century. So all of these words that define and condemn various sinful acts are new words that didn't yeah. exist in Bible times. Right. The English words are. But the act has always but been there. But the around. act has always been there. Actually, so look at look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 9. This is what the, they referenced in the blog. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The the, the word effeminate and homosexual are there in this particular English translation. They come from two Greek words. And I'm not sure I can say them accurately. But in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11, the Greek words malakos and arsenokoit. I'm not, I don't think I'm saying that right, but those are the two words. The first one means, and this, and by the way, if you've got children listening tonight, we've talked about some pretty delicate things, so we apologize for that. 
But the first of those Greek words in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, refers to a man or boy who submits to sodomy. And the second word literally means a man who performs the act of sodomy. That's what the words mean. That's what those Greek words mean. And so it's not a new concept. We've got a new English word that we use for it, but it's not a new concept. Right. Yeah. Uh, Dwight in Iowa says the, the term or word may not have been coined as homosexual until the 1800s. I'm not sure, but the actual meaning, regardless of what anyone calls it, is still a sin and, condemn, and condemns one to hell. Gay activists need to know that God does not hate them, nor do we. What God disapproves of is the sin itself. God does not want any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And that means that we must change from the ways of the world and do as God commands, not as we desire. There's a way which seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. Proverbs 16:25. Thank you, Dwight, for that. Uh, Kent says, it makes no difference when the term homosexual evolved in the English language. The term is descriptive of ungodly perversion that is condemned in the scripture. And that's exactly right. Now, if you, if that argument is legit, then there's no, we, we can't condemn any sin using our English language right. because all of those right. words were, were, were coined after the first yeah. century. There's new words being made up all the time to describe things that have already been around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. So the, that gets us through the, the seven arguments that they offered. And again, I, I thought it was, I was actually a little bit flabbergasted by that when they when they titled their video blog Seven Bible Quotes Supporting Gay Relationship and they didn't provide the quotes. In some of their arguments they never even referenced a Bible passage at all. And and in the few instances where they did reference a Bible passage, they misused it and misapplied it. Uh they're just wrong. They don't have Bible quotes that support gay relationships. The Bible condemns the practice of homosexuality. Now, you know, we've made this point before, Josh. So say, say here's a fellow who has, maybe he has a tendency to like the same sex. The, the desire or the temptation and the tendency is not sinful. The practice, the engage, right. the, the pursuit of that desire is forbidden. And right. God condemns it as a sin. Well, there were some members of the church at Corinth that were practicing homosexuality at one point in their life because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, such were some of you, but you were washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Yeah. They, they repented and they conformed their life to the way that God would have them to live. That's exactly right. Kyle, any thoughts? Well, that's a good study, I think, uh People shouldn't take this out of context. This is a sin. Bible, it condemns all forms of sin. We're not picking on homosexuality. The God, homosexuality separates us from God. All sins separate us from God. I think we need to make sure that we're not picking on homosexuality. Homosexuality is a sin, yeah. and the Bible clearly condemns it. So. I, th- I think you're exactly right. Um, it's an important study, a necessary uh, a study. Uh, again, it's not a pleasant one. And again, we, 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 would, we do apologize uh, for talking about pretty graphic things and it may not have been terribly appropriate for families who had children listening tonight perhaps and so we hope you used your discretion in that regard but it's necessary because this is pervasive in our society josh i mean this is out there and it's being discussed all the time mm-hmm. and we as as bible believing people cannot shy away from the truth on this subject right. 
Yeah, it's being pushed at us, and we've got to be ready to respond. All right. All right. That's our virtual Bible study for tonight. Thanks for listening. Thanks for participating. Uh, we hope you will uh, join us next week at this same time for another episode or edition of the, the virtual Bible study. Until that time, read and study your Bible. Live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.